Welcome to Selfless Security Chat Chat, episode 196. For the 30th of April, 2015, I'm Chester Wisniewski coming to you from the Sophos Partner Conference in Las Vegas, Nevada. You better be quick, Chester, because you're in between sessions and uh, you're a presenter at this event, aren't you? Yeah, yeah, time's a little bit uh, a little bit short. It's a very busy time for us, so we'll start right out with the first story, which is a vulnerability in WPA supplicant which is not something uh, most non-Linux nerds have necessarily dealt with before, probably, but it turns out it's rather important anyway because it is how many uh, free operating systems like Linux and derivatives of it connect to Wi-Fi networks, which seemingly includes our Android devices, doesn't it? It does, and uh, as the name suggests, it's effectively a security client for WPA, uh, Wi-Fi Protected Access, which is the recommended encryption method for Wi-Fi these days. And it's the software that's responsible for finding an, an access point and negotiating cryptographically with it. Um, unfortunately, uh, it was found to have a buffer overflow that meant that under some circumstances, if somebody sent you back a packet saying, oh, by the way, my network name is enormously long string, longer than 32 characters, uh, then they could basically pwn your computer. And that could indeed include Android, where WPA Supplicant, as you say, is used as the connection client, uh, even though most people are probably unaware of that. Well, I, I guess there is a bit of a silver lining to this cloud, though. And in, in looking at it, it seems to only impact the Wi-Fi direct connectivity, which is sort of a, a shortcut way of allowing two Wi-Fi-enabled devices to communicate without having to have an access point in between. And I don't really know anyone that uses that very often. I mean, I've actually done it once or twice in a hotel to play a, a video game with a friend where we didn't want to do it over the hotel Wi-Fi per se. But I'm not really sure that folks use that functionality very often. So I guess you could just turn it off. I'm not sure how you turn it off. Um, my understanding is that it's, it's pretty much accepted that the bug is fairly easy to trigger if you initiate a Wi-Fi direct connection which is kind of like ad hoc, but don't confuse the two. Some people on Naked Security have asked, isn't that ad hoc networking? It's not the same thing. Um, the problem is that the bug report does admit that it may be possible for a device, another device, which is simply looking out to see whether there are people around who support Wi-Fi Direct, it might be possible for them to trigger the bug in your device, even if you haven't knowingly started a connection yourself. But that does sound like a theoretical possibility. Um, so let's hope that just remains pie in the sky until Android gets this fixed. Which raises the next question. I wonder when that's going to happen. Well, yeah, that's the issue, I guess, with Android. And that, you know, I have a Nexus 4 that's still on 5.01. And then I have a Nexus 6 that's on 5.1. And then I've got a Galaxy Nexus S that's on 4.2. Um, what is a fix for Android? Well, I guess technically, from Google's point of view, the thing, that, the thing that would satisfy their own Project Zero guidelines, as I understand it, is a publicly available patch. So if they stick that in, if they stick the update, which is already available, a one-line patch for WPA Supplicant, into their own source tree and announce it, they've kind of done it. But that's not the same as getting all their partners, all their OEM partners who make telephones, to put that patch into their version of the firmware and then distribute it to all the handsets out there, is it? No, no. You know, this reminds me a lot of this uh, uh, supposed um, Internet of Things, 
the truth of the matter is most of the Internet of Things are using Linux as their operating system. And so maybe Android is just a, a global scale example of how this is going to work out in the end, right? Because we're looking at uh, a device that's got a very complicated uh, tens of millions of lines of code kernel, lots of different open source components involved that frequently bugs and vulnerabilities are found in them, and yet we don't really have an established process for how we're going to fix them. No, we don't. And considering the difficulty of doing it for, you know, handsets that the purpose of which is sort of to be online all the time, with the internet of smaller things, you know, you may be online, you may not be, maybe something in your car, it may be something in a light bulb that you've got in your ceiling. Having said that, you, I, I think you've just said, I think you've just effectively described Android as a thing. Isn't there a horror movie about the thing? There, there is, and, and it's starting to look scarier and scarier for Android users if these types of vulnerabilities continue along and, and Google doesn't enforce some sort of a program to get their partners that are using the Android branding to actually ensure that those devices uh, are kept safe. Um, moving along, since we're talking about Google, we can talk about Google's networking offerings. Um, the, the, the giant is looking like they're going to provide a, a somewhat cheap service, at least by American standards, where you'll be able to spend uh, $20 or so and have access to both, YG, to both Wi-Fi and 4G slash 3G networks kind of seamlessly go between them and automatically VPN back into like sort of, a, I guess, a virtual Google ISP, isn't it? Yes, actually, uh, that uh, little slip of the tongue you made there where you said YG, I thought that was quite a cool name, but actually Google are calling it Project Phi. And you're right, it's basically an agglomeration of, of 3G slash LTE networks from Sprint and T-Mobile, as I understand it, and their Wi-Fi. You pay $20 a month, that gives you voice and Wi-Fi. And when you happen to effectively roam from Wi-Fi onto the mobile network, then you pay $10 a gig. Doesn't sound very cheap to me, um, but I guess that's the US way. Uh, it all sounds great, particularly this, well, there's a VPN built in, so it doesn't matter that it's open Wi-Fi, and that avoids the problem that many people complain about. VPNs are easy to turn on on your phone, but setting one up at home is not entirely trivial. The problem is it, it does mean that to make this service work, at least to save your $10 a gig, uh, you, have, you basically have to have Wi-Fi turned on all the time, which is something that we often recommend that people don't do because of the sort of beaconing that goes on when your Wi-Fi is enabled. It does allow people to track you even if you don't realize. So it seems like uh, there's a lot to be gained on the roundabout, but potentially an awful lot to be lost on the swings as well. Particularly now that, you know, if you're using Google for search and you're using Google for your email, uh, if you take this service, then you'll also be using a VPN, which effectively terminates inside Google. So they'll be seeing all of your traffic. Well, right. And this will be very similar, of course, to people that have signed up for Google's fiber to the home service that they offer in Kansas City and Austin. And I think there's plans for several other cities in the United States. Maybe this is just a good awareness thing, right? Like your ISP does see all your traffic. Um, would you rather trust Comcast or Google, or would you rather trust AT&T or Google? Because ultimately, somebody's providing you the service, and when your communications aren't encrypted um, at that point, they're going to see everything you do, be able to potentially sell that information to advertisers, uh, disclose it to law enforcement, whatever it may be. 
and you need to decide that. And I think personally, this is one of the reasons I support the large scale move of almost all websites to SSL because it helps absolve some of that trouble. As I wrote on Naked Security, as long as you remember that there's a cost to free. And then I thought, hang on, in this case, as long as you remember there's a cost to $20 a month plus $10 a gig, an additional cost, which is where your packets are going. I wanted to cover the next story really quickly on the Romanian carters who uh, were jailed. I mean, this is something that I always like to talk about primarily because I hear a lot of hopelessness when I'm traveling and talking to groups where they're like, oh, you know, these criminals are acting with impunity and we'll never catch them and we're all just going to be suffering victims forever and there's nothing we can do about it. And while that may be true for uh, uh, an unfortunately large number of criminals out there, it's just simply not true across the board and these guys are going to find out why. Yes, this was a good one. Uh, you know, if you look at reports on naked security over the years, there does seem to be, unfortunately, quite an active carding community in Romania. Indeed, these busts in Romania, 25 guys busted. Um, it seems that the primary things that they've been caught for in this case are two carding runs. That's where we get bank accounts that you can clone cards of and then make a whole load of clone cards, hand out the pins to a bunch of carding crews who rush out into the street and go flying from ATM to ATM, drawing to the maximum of that ATM, which may be just a few hundred euros or a few hundred dollars. But the idea is by orchestrating it really carefully and timing it well, they can literally pull out, I think in Japan, they're accused of having done a run that got 9 million in one day, and another run in Romania, 4,200 withdrawals, 15 cities, one day, 5 million bucks if you don't mind. Yeah, fortunately, the ATMs have limits. In this case, it looked like it was about 1,200 US dollars worth of limit, but um, not really good enough when you're talking about this kind of cash. Uh, and there was a famous carding run, was it a couple of years ago, down Broadway in Manhattan, wasn't there, where the guys, they literally spent all night at it, and they were averaging 90 seconds per withdrawal, $2.5 million, and there was only a handful of guys. Well, and, and there's another commonality there, which is that banks in Muscat and Oman were involved in that heist as well. But um, uh, lastly, I have to wrap up because it's uh, past my time to go get ready to speak to our partners, but uh, wanted to congratulate the Naked Security team. I'm winning the Best Corporate Security Blog at the Security Bloggers Awards meetup in San Francisco at the RSA. And that was uh, our fifth year in a row winning an award. So congratulations to you and Anna and John and the whole team. I don't know what to say, because when you started saying that, I thought, I'll put on my biggest grin. And then I realized, of course, this is a podcast, not a video. Um, but if you can imagine an audio grin, I've got one from ear to ear. Uh, we were very pleased. But of course, it's also a reflection of our readers, our listeners, our viewers, our commentators, the people who give us ideas and let us know what's interesting and important to write about so we can, we can cover the right stuff. So don't forget tips at sophos.com uh, if you want to alert us to a story or even request us um, to write about something or put forward topics for things like the Chet Chat or our Techno podcast series. We love to hear from you. And thanks to all the listeners at RSA and the other events I've been at the last few weeks as well for sharing uh, their thoughts because it means a lot to us to hear from you. And on that note, I will conclude Sophos Security Chat Chat 196. As always, for the latest security news, please visit nakedsecurity.sophos.com. All of our podcasts are available on iTunes, the TuneIn app, or anywhere you find good podcasts, and of course over at soundcloud.com slash sophosecurity. 
until next time, stay secure.